0: I am just on the Rumble rants now, warning them that uh, Susan is away today. She's out on a flight, but will be monitoring the chat rooms and uh, listening to us from the Twitter spaces, where if you are raising your hand there to come up, you'll be agreeing to stream out on Twitch, Twitter, Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, wherever we can be heard. Today is going to be a very interesting story. We have Mary Elizabeth Bailey. Bailey is Mary is a nurse. However, her early life story is uh, extraordinary and it's extraordinary story of survival and resiliency and trauma and recovery and uh, she's got some ideas Uh, essentially she had murder by proxy at the hands of her mother in the midst of domestic abuse and violence if you know what uh, say uh, munchausers by proxy is murder by proxy you kind of get the idea here Pretty, pretty interesting story. Her book is My Mother's Soldier. It's available on Amazon. And we will be out there on the Twitter spaces and on Restream, uh, watching your comments right after this. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopath started this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. where the hell you think I learned that? Welcome, everybody. I see you on the Twitter spaces as well as uh, over here on our usual rant, Rumble Ramp, and also our Restream uh, chat. Uh, Any comments there I will try to pick up on. I apologize if I don't see some of your questions. I can't see everything. It scrolls by pretty fast. And uh, usually I'm kind of focused on the interview, so I apologize that I can't quite multitask quite the way I used to. Uh, As I said at the opening, Susan is on a plane right now. I don't see her on... I'm looking to see if she is in the chat room uh, over on the Twitter Spaces. and she does not seem to be, unless that's her, uh, as asked Dr. Drew. Is that her, is that Zidanev, uh, or that's you? Okay, fair enough. Uh, all right, so let's get right to it. Uh, our guest is Mary Elizabeth Bailey. She uh, was in a, a circumstance that obviously was extraordinarily disturbed, ultimately resulting in her abusive alcoholic stepfather passing out, I believe in a drunken stupor. And at that time, 11-year-old Mary uh, was coerced by her mother, put a gun in her hand, and was instructed to go kill her stepfather. As I understand the story, the safety was on the gun and she literally had to go back three times, which sounds beyond excruciating. And then to make matters worse, the mother put it all on on the child when the police came for a report. So, uh, again, the book is My Mother's Soldier. The website is pinksuniforms.com, or that is her business. She's a nurse, as I said, and I was looking at her uniforms. They look pretty cool, nursing, nursing scrubs and whatnot. Please welcome Mary Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bailey. There you Hi. are. Welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Did, sure
0: did I, um, did I, sorry, I well, get the well. story right? Did, you did. Did I get it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty, uh, pretty
0: devastating. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, please, please give us more on what happened, what, what was going on in that household at the time. Obviously this was not a, this was not uh, you know, Mary Poppins. Um, and, and what you learned, how you recovered and what you want other people to know, which is really what we're about today.
1: Yeah. Well, inside the house, it was pretty much a, a house of horror. It was, um, every day was, uh, filled with violence and, Um, as you mentioned, you know, the night that it happened, um, I had to go back three times. Um, my mother handed me the gun and, um, the safety was on and I had to walk down the hall three times, um, before the gun fired. Uh, I was very, very scared. It was probably one of the worst uh, moments of my life, um, to think back uh, on that. It's devastating.
0: It, it's hard to imagine a worse moment. I, if there are worse, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what that looks like. That's pretty right. extraordinary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that's, you know, as far as that goes, uh, it, it, like I said, it was, it was a devastating moment. And, uh, yeah, that night, my, my mother did, uh, she did put the blame on me. Um, you know, and fortunately, um, you know, through, uh, testing, uh, they 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 realized that uh, what had happened. So um, mm. we, um, you, you know, it's just it's hard to think back. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the, you know the moments. But yeah, she she called nine one one as soon as it was over and said that she had killed her husband. But when mm. um, it all came to play, she she blamed it on me and said that I'm the one that got the gun and I'm the one that um, that did that. So.
0: was your mom an alcoholic also, or was she doing drugs?
1: Um, I'm, I think she did probably recreational type drugs, marijuana, um, alcohol, um, things of that nature, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't notice her always, you know, she, she wasn't, she wasn't what I would consider an alcoholic or a drunk. And,
0: and and when, when this all went down, I mean, you, you know, you said this was one of the worst experiences. Was were you beaten by this stepfather? Were you sexually abused? Was there all that stuff going on in the house as well?
1: There was, I was not sexually abused, but I was, um, severely beaten by him. Um, he was, um, I felt like he was angrier at me than he was at anyone. Um, I wasn't his daughter biologically and I just felt like he took that out, took a lot of his anger out on me because of that.
0: And I'm sure you're aware of that data, right? I mean, the, the probability of abuse in the home goes up more than exponentially when, when the. When the stepfather comes in, frankly, it's when somebody from outside the gene pool comes in.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was a victim of
0: that. And and I'm, how was it that they, I'm just, I'm trying to get my head around what your mom was doing. I mean, I would, I, I can imagine a mom panicking and blaming it on a kid, but then sustaining it, like sustaining the lies. I only see really severe drug addicts do stuff like that. What, what was going on with mom?
1: I feel like she, I mean, she was scared. She felt as though if I had, I did, you know, I committed the murder that she would not go to prison and I wouldn't go to prison. I was too young. Uh, But unfortunately they charged us both with the murder. Um, I don't think I even realized it at the time, but I was charged with murder as an 11 year old child. Um, But that was her plan. The the thought that, you know, if I did it, we would would be free uh, and we could move on with our lives without this person
0: Sheesh. was there any time in which she just thought about moving away or you know just getting away from the guy or did she had she tried that
1: yeah we had moved away on several occasions and unfortunately um, he would always track her down and she didn't have a lot of places to go um she go stay with her mother which is my grandmother. Uh he always knew where she was and he would call and, and threaten to kill her if she didn't come back and things of that nature and uh, obviously in a domestic, you know, situation like that you're you're scared so you come back.
0: Did yeah, I'm sure. Did you maintain a relationship with your mother after all this?
1: Um I did not initially. We I went into foster care. Um, I was, um, allowed to visit her they did encourage that. So I'd visit her in prison, um, periodically. It wasn't initially, she was in prison for about a year before I got uh, to see her. It was a high profile case at the time. So I was moved away. They really didn't want us communicating. Apparently there was some things Mm -hmm. being said. Um, she, she had written some letters to my grandmother, you know, encouraging her to, um, tell me to you know take the blame for it that she had nothing to do with it Uh, obviously she was looking at a a life sentence um so they kept us apart um for for many many years
0: crazy and and once you could maintain a relationship what was that like this is the person that's trying to hang a murder on you
1: yeah, so once I realized um what had happened, I I didn't realize it until I think I was probably 17 years old. I had gotten the the videotapes of the murder trial. Um and then I was I never watched them till I was 33. And I think then is when mm-hmm. I realized what had happened that she really tried to pin this on me. And I understand, I mean, it was a survival technique on her on her part. Um so I watched the videos and I, I realized what had happened and um it was tough because at that point I had already went and, uh, you know, fought for her at her parole meeting so that she could get out uh, on parole. She, she, she got life in prison with the possibility of parole. So after 10 years, um, I went to the parole hearing and, you know, I asked them to release her. I said, you know, I, I, I haven't had a mother, you know, I wasn't adopted. I hadn't had a mother in my life and I really wanted and hoped that, you know, we could have a relationship.
0: Did that happen?
1: Unfortunately, at that time, it did not. She was released from prison. She stayed with me for about a year. Um, I helped her get a job. I helped her in an apartment, took her back and forth to her meetings. And um, I felt like at that time, she, it was like she was still stuck, you know, 10 years ago, you know, um, in that mindset. And she never made a lot of changes at the time. So I moved away. Didn't see her for about 20 years. Um, And recently I did a documentary for people magazine investigates. And that's when I saw her for the first time. How was that? Um, It was good. I think at that point I had, uh, I had forgiven her. Um, I had been working on that for many years. Um, Mm. I just, I felt um, after my book came out in August, she asked for a copy and I sent her a copy of the book. Um, about eight months later, I got a letter from her, um, kind of explaining, you know, her side. She didn't really, um, she didn't blame me and she didn't make excuses. And I was really impressed with where she had come from, from that time to, to where she was. Um, and, and I, and I felt good about it. I felt good. I felt like she had really um, taken the steps to, 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 um, accept responsibility for what had happened.
0: How does she support herself now?
1: Now, unfortunately, um, she's she's disabled. She has um, she has metastatic cancer. She has cancer in the lung, um, her hip, her spine, and her brain. Um, so, it's a very before unfortunate that, situation. She,
0: before that, how did she support herself? Uh,
1: she worked at um, I think she worked at like a uh, dry cleaners. Um, she did some odd jobs. So she was for, able to,
0: she was able to work. And and did she have a relationship again?
1: Um, not really. She never remarried. Um, she probably maybe dated here and there, but she never got involved in, in a serious what relationship. What happened to your,
0: biolo- your your biological father? Where is he in the picture?
1: He passed away. I had never met him um, up until I was about 22 years old. Um, and someone had called me one day on the phone and said, hey, I'm your sister. And I was like, you know, who's? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, she said her name and said, your dad is, uh, she told me my dad's name. His name was John Bryant. And um, she said, he'd like to meet you. So at the time he was living, I believe in, um, in Ohio, near Columbus, uh, Ohio. And so I drove to see him. Um, we visited for a few hours and I went back home and probably less than a month later, he passed away.
0: mm. And did he explain what happened to the his relationship with your mom? I'm just trying to get some in my head around these relationships and this pathology. Did, did he say yeah, what was going on that why he left? Yeah.
1: Well, unfortunately, he was married when my biological mother uh, got pregnant with me. He was married to to someone else. So he, was, so he, was he wasn't there. So, your mom. He was I see.
0: Okay. Um, Wow. Quite a story. And one last thing you, you, you said you were in foster care briefly. Was that across your teens until you were 18?
1: Yes, it was. Yes. And then you Um, just started taking care
0: of yourself after that?
1: I did. I went to college, um, at 17. I was actually went to college a little bit, uh, just a little bit early. Um, was in college at 17. And again, I wasn't adopted at the time. Nothing. Um, I really didn't feel like I had a family. Um, so I got an apartment and I just, I realized, you know, life is tough. And, uh, but you, you know, it's up to me now, um, what had happened to me and what had happened up until then I had no control over, but I had control of my life after that going forward.
0: Do you have children now?
1: I do not just fur babies.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, and, and how did you deal with this? What, what was the, I mean, what was the path to, to managing all this trauma
1: well as a young child i um i did get therapy and counseling uh, pretty much every day um so that was very helpful but i also had a very i'm very spiritual and um had a had a real close uh relationship have a lot of faith with god so to, to me i was i was alone a lot so i wasn't allowed to go back to school when i was 11 i was taken out of the out of the school. And so all I had, um, I had no one to talk to. So at that point, I just started talking to God. And um, I had been baptized probably less than six, eight months prior to that. So I, I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful for that time in my life, because that's that's what led to, to my healing and to my faith and to my hope and, and hope for everyone.
0: And, and you said you had therapy every day. Was that after age 11 and for how long
1: it was i would say i was in therapy for a couple years uh but it was every day hmm. um like think was it felt like it was every day after school to at least at least three to four days um after school i would i would walk um to the therapist um office and he was he was fantastic and um just, um he really it, it was it was a blessing that I was able to have that and to talk about what had happened and to better understand that it wasn't my fault i blamed myself for a long time you know I thought you know I'm the reason that my mom's in prison you know I'm the reason that our family's not together um, so I had a really hard time dealing with that but he helped me to realize that it which it wasn't which is
0: normal right normal for an so. eight to eleven year old to Oh my gosh, eight, eight year olds, 10 year olds think, think everything is about them. If their parents right. are fighting, it's cause they don't love them enough. If there's what whatever right. it is, you know, they, they they can't see the pathology of the parents. Um, right. Did you, did you, did it help you? Did he help you form a secure attachment? I, I can't imagine your attachments were very powerful prior to the therapy.
1: With, with people. Um, you know, it, it, it's, I, I had to work on trust and I had to work on relationships, but I always believed, I always tried to see the good in people and, and I believe people and I did trust people. Surprisingly, I trusted people a lot more than, than you would think. Um, I didn't allow one individual, um, to, to change that for me. I, I just, I couldn't allow were him. To, were you to, right.
0: subsequent to that? Had you been taken advantage of at any other time in your life? after this event
1: as far as like any abuse or
0: well not i mean the overt i I mean were your relationships stable did we were you exploited in your relationships in any way did a boss ever take advantage of your charity you know what i'm saying
1: no as a matter of fact i didn't really talk a lot about my story um so most people didn't know about it as i grew up through through uh, when i went to school i mean uh, my classmates didn't really know what had happened. It's kind of funny. They reach out now and they're like, "I had no idea you were this bubbly, you know, person who play, you played sports and you were you were fun loving." And I would have never dreamed that you had went through something like that. Um, mm. And and as I moved through life, I did not want to. I just didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to create uh, who I was. I didn't want to define myself by my past.
0: Did you have siblings?
1: Yes. Yes, uh, two were brothers. They, how were they
0: affected? How were they affected by this?
1: Um, well, you know, there. One of my brothers passed away. Passed away young. Um, he got into a situation. He was only eight months when this happened. So the situation in itself, mm. I don't believe affected him completely. Um, he was just a little too young. Um, mm. My sister, she was she was um, four, and my brother was eight. I think they were affected mm. by this. They, they still remember. They know what what's happened and, and they're having a hard time in life. Even now, um, they're struggling. They're dealing with some, a lot of issues. Um, they haven't b- really been able to break free of that cycle. And it's, it's sad for me. Um, cause the whole point cycle this is of
0: this uh, Sub yeah. substance and domestic violence or, or what, what cycle are we talking about? Yeah.
1: Both substance and substance abuse, domestic violence, um, foster care, you know, um, my sister, um, you know, most of her children are uh, well. All of her children, she don't she don't have any of them. Uh, there's three of them, and they they live with, with different people. And it's just very unfortunate. You can just see the cycle, and and it's so obvious. And um, we talk, and it, it just she just can't seem to break it. And um, I I don't know. It's it's tough.
0: So so you're a nurse now, and you look, and you're you've been through these experiences, and you're looking at the cycle of abuse you know and substance abuse in, in your family of origin what do you, what do we do what do we do with these problems what's the, what is an answer these are common problems in our country and woefully little is being done about it let alone even just addressing it uh what do you think
1: you're right a little is being done about um about these situations uh you know, my, my husband is a, he's an attorney and uh, he deals with family law and he deals a lot with domestic situations, domestic uh, abuse. Um, and and it's, it's so unfortunate. We're not addressing it the way we should. We need to find a way to to deal with this and to deal with this population and this group of people. We need to help uh, you know foster kids, uh, foster children who are aging out of the system. We need to make sure that they have hope and they have a plan for their future. We have to we have to stop stop the violence.
0: Well, they end up on the street or uh, or they end up, you know, you know, substance use or they end up in another domestic violence relationship. And even the ones that I've noticed, I've been involved with organizations that get kids like this out and into college. They can't get through their freshman year because they're not psychiatrically supported sufficiently. I mean, you had therapy every day for three years. That works. Uh, Did your siblings get, did your siblings get therapy too?
1: Yes. They did, and they they also did. were adopted by a family uh, as well, pretty early on.
0: Mm.
1: They had they had and, that stability. Did they
0: it. did they stay with the therapy as long as you did?
1: I don't think so. I, I don't. I think don't so. think so
0: either. No. I doubt it. <laughs> in fact, I doubt oh. it. I mean, not that therapy always works, but it does. Treatment usually works. Uh, at least it works marginally, uh, if not completely. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. We can take calls out of Twitter spaces. Those of you that are there, uh, you need to raise your hand and uh, that will request me to come come look for you and get you up to the podium here. You can ask Mary Elizabeth questions that way, or myself. You have other questions. Uh, I saw there was a tweet earlier today about a Suboxone question, which I'm happy to answer. So you just raise your hand and I will click on your on your icon here and we'll bring you up to the podium. Realize that you do. Uh, will be streaming out on multiple platforms. YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, Rumble, everywhere else. Um, So just raise your hand like we're going to do right now for Josh. We'll see what uh, Josh wants to say. Josh, what's up? Or question he has. Dr. Drew. Hey there.
2: Um, My question is something that um, I hope isn't too probing uh, for your guests, but I know that when I think your your wife talked about a trauma bond which Mm -hmm. which was a new term for me but Mm -hmm. i think it the question i have is about that and i want to know if if there was a bonding moment between your guest and her mother over this incident and you can imagine how damaging that would be Mm -hmm. um and i feel like for me, that's just what struck out. I mean, okay. it's a weird thing for no, me no, to think. No, not at all.
0: Not at all. Listen. Is, so, listen. was there
2: a, was there a bond formed, and how do we go through that?
0: So, Josh, I'm going to guess. So, so trauma bonding for, that Josh is referring to is something that people. It's it's a feature, not a not a not a bug in our brain. It's a feature that when we were in very intense situations, we become very tightly bound to the people we are in those situations with. Soldiers. Band of brothers, you hear about these stories all the time, people that go back to military environments because they can't leave their comrades behind, this kind of thing. Uh, I've been through something recently, which will be on TV in the winter, where I was trauma bonded to a bunch of people. I'll talk about it when I can. And um, and I bet, I'm going to just throw this out there, Mary Elizabeth, that you were already sort of bound in that way to your mom from the domestic violence perpetrated by the de- stepdad.
1: That's exactly right. I was definitely uh, drawn to her through, through that. And so when I would see her being abused, especially that weekend leading up to the murder, watching her being abused, watching her being punched and, and you know him holding a knife to her throat. And when she came, came to me and said, you know, I need you to do this. You know, I, I have this gun. I need you to yeah. do this. I didn't. So, I couldn't say no.
0: Right. That's right. And so, and so there are, and Josh, it's a really interesting topic. I, I'm not an expert in it. Uh, might read a little Erickson on the topic, I think, but it, it goes into the Stockholm syndrome. It's a relative of hypnosis. When you're in these states, you, you feel like the other person has persuasion over you, like you're bound, you're like enmeshed in some way, where if that person asks you to do something, you just do it. It's it's a weird thing in our brain that that is normal. It's not an abnormal thing. It's a normal thing, and the the where it becomes abnormal is where you bond to the perpetrator, and, and so there's a certain amount of. I, and I don't know if Mary Elizabeth you experienced this with your stepdad, but but because he was from. Wasn't your biological dad? It's not quite as common. But if he had been your biological dad and he was physically abusing you, you become the the person, the 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 attachment um, uh, object. The attachment object becomes the source of the love and the distress simultaneously. So the child is stuck in this conflict of going tighter towards that individual and wanting to get the hell away from that person and hating them at the same time. Mary Elizabeth, anything like that for you?
1: No, I never felt that that kind of bond with him. It wasn't, it, we never yeah, had that. Yeah.
0: It was good. Unfortunately, good. I wanted him, wanted him to love me and want
1: him to care about me, but he didn't. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. It, it's different when it's a biological dad, but Josh, does all that kind of make sense to you?
2: yeah it does, and I would just say, you know, um, I really like what you said. And I think for a child, an eleven year old child who's mm-hmm. so dependent, it could be thrilling to have a parent pay attention to them in such a way and and and, and do something like that with. I mean, yeah. it seems so grotesque and so and so horrible. But for the child, it's almost like it's a sense of power. Now they're a grown up, now they're adult. And the in the and and the mother is taking the child under its wing or whatever it is. Let's see, but let's see. The, let's, chi- the let's, child's experience is completely just blown out of proportion.
0: Yeah. yeah, it gets weird. But let's hear Mary Elizabeth, anything like that with you?
1: Uh as far as my mother taking me under her wing at this point. Is that what yeah. is that kind of Feeling what he's feeling empowered uh, by
0: that. Yeah.
1: I don't think so. I don't feel empowered. I don't think she feels empowered. I mean, our relationship is based on forgiveness. I have forgiven her for what has happened. Um, I need to forgive her. She's asked for forgiveness in her life, and that's where we are.
0: Yeah. I want Josh to kind of drill in a little more on what you're talking about there. It's a very common thing, a weird, you know, this weird thing that our brain does when children are needy like they're not getting their needs met in the home they drift outside of the home and become easy objects of exploitation they get sexually abused commonly and are stuck between like feeling the closeness that they craving at the same time the horror of the body boundaries being violated it's really these conflicts that make kids give such kids such difficulty as, as they grow up, they can't regulate, they can't reconcile these things. They can't forgive themselves for them. Uh, let's bring Russell up here. And Russell be aware your microphone will be muted as you come up. It's down there you are. What's up?
3: Hello, Drew, can you hear me? I do. Hey, um, I just had a quick question. This is nothing compared to uh, what your guest has gone through. Mm -hmm. But when I was about four and a half years old, my uh, mother went away to get alcohol treatment, like back in the 80s. -hmm. And I don't remember necessarily much of it, just little flashes. But the therapists say that had a, a huge effect on me, even though I can't. Remember it at all? So, have okay. you dealt with that a lot in your treatment of yeah. addiction?
0: Yeah, I I will tell you. Well, just having a parent with substance use disorder is considered an adverse childhood experience. Considered one of the eight, one of the check marks on the ACE score. So, just having a substance a substance using parent, intoxicated parent, is traumatic for kids. My experience was when the identified addict patient was in treatment the children were usually relieved and the children just and what we would tell the kids almost any age we would just go look your mom has an illness it's made her behave strangely she's getting well and we're going to make sure she gets well that was all the kids wanted to know and that seemed to relieve all of their anxiety whatever impact was prior to treatment or if they didn't stay sober subsequently does that make sense
3: it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't get told much about it as far as I can remember. Yeah. And I remember it being like a hospital hospital, not like a modern treatment center.
0: Yeah. They, that's, where that's where we used to do yeah. it. Used to do it in hospitals. Yeah. And there'd be a lot of mommy's ill. We'll go visit her. She's in the hospital. She's doing great. And, and that's a lot of what people tell, particularly the younger kids. But the treatment is is never the problem in my experience, unless uh. somebody mismanages something. The, the problem is, the out of control using and by the way having a parent that has sufficiently severed a substance they have to be hospitalized that tells you shit was going down in the home also right
3: yeah probably yeah. so yeah i have a very uh yeah. my family's very quiet about stuff like that we never talk yeah. about negative stuff so
0: yeah that, that, really. that's much more the issue is that she needed treatment not that she was in treatment and uh um, that's the impact on kids so interesting russell thanks for the question yeah sure thank you you bet okay here's what we're going to do uh more questions just like russell and josh just raise your hand i'll bring you up and you can talk to mary elizabeth uh if you have questions for her about her story or resiliency obviously mary elizabeth is an extremely resilient uh, person i mean as evidenced by how she was perceived by her peers as she moved through you know grade school years uh and of course you can read more about it in her book my mother's soldier to hear really what this was like to experience something like this but trauma, you know, this is sort of a vivid, extraordinary experience that Mary Elizabeth had. But there's a lot of trauma in this country, a lot of the stuff that's going on. Right now, you can trace right back to people's traumas, and uh, acting out uh, politically, or acting out socially, or acting out with substances or acting out online, not going to make people better. In fact, it makes them worse. So you might we might be thinking about uh, what we can do to make ourselves better. And I don't know if that uh, Whoever was on Twitter, let me see who that was earlier today, that tweeted me about the Suboxone treatment, and I, I didn't really want to get into it. Uh, Yo Mama, Shady at Best, whoever that is. If you're there, uh, please um, please let me know. And uh, Alicia Amor, I see you there. Thank you for the positive uh, tweet about what we're doing here today. And if you have stuff you want us to talk about, uh, write into contact at DrDrew.com, or if you disagree with me or whatever it is. I'm, I'm open to conversation. So here we'll take a little break, talk about our friends at Genucel. We'll be back with Mary Elizabeth Bailey after this. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan sheets, that annoying dry area under her nose during allergy season, like right here, she's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry, nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. Soaked right into the skin, She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. Every single product is developed by a pharmacist, making sure that all the ingredients are safe and effective. Right now, you can try GenuCell's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to GenuCell.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com and the code is D-R-E-W. Thank you, Caleb, for covering for me while I put my ears back in. I am uh, alone here in the studio, a one-man band. So when things happen, I've got to get up and take care of them. So apologize for that. And uh, indeed, because I am alone today, Caleb, you're going to play the Susan Pinsky role on GenuCell, uh, which again, uh, I don't have the products in front of me because I'm not well organized enough to have that. But I know you use it on a regular basis, right, Caleb?
4: Oh, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I, I'm using this stuff every day. Even I've... I feel like I'm probably not the best reflection of the brand at the moment because I'm getting over my sinus infection. <laughs> but
0: otherwise, well, your I sinuses show, have nothing to do with your skin. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that, uh, but that's a different organ system.
5: Well,
4: it's, it, it's true. So, but the lack of sleep. Let's see. Where's my Where's my face over here? You could probably. You could probably oh, actually. Somebody's see. at our
0: front door. You can see hmm.
4: just Eve. This is me at my sickest right now. And I like those yeah. circles are the gone. The skin looks good. The, the skin looks great with as sick as I am. So thank you, Genucel. I'm very impressed.
0: Hang on a second. Uh, this is a really unfortunate and rare thing. Uh, the front door is being banged on uh, aggressively by someone, and I'm going to sit here and uh, complete our ta- our program. You're not uh, being swatted, the dogs barking are you? in the background. Swatted? What is that? Oh, somebody sent the a SWAT thing in? Yeah, no, Okay, good. They beat it louder. That, no, me, let me look out the let, let's this is a this is a live broadcast, so let me look out the window and make sure that's not something that's going yeah, on. I think idea. that's a, a reasonable and don't give anybody any suggestions. So hold on. <laughs> a little interlude music. Of course it was nothing. And the old picture of Susan and Drew is certainly not adorable. Those of you on Restream think it's so funny.
1: <laughs> it's not it's not that
0: funny. But Caleb is, is – uh, so that is a picture that we took in like 1989 or something uh, where we thought we had to fit in with the uh, Pasadena Society. Susan insisted on those pictures. And um, my daughter found them about five years ago. And made uh, purses and Instagram posts and all kinds of things out of them to humiliate her parents, <laughs> and of course my friend Caleb Nation then picked up on it and made a a, a post out of it, and so we really appreciate it. We appreciate Thanks, it very, very much. <laughs> so let me go. We got people with hands up uh, in the control in the uh, in the Twitter spaces. Go ahead and bring Mary Elizabeth uh, back, and we'll try to get some questions going here. Mary Elizabeth, thank you. Sorry about that weird delay, but I, I kind of <laughs> Kind of adds to the intrigue of the situation when uh, it's something, uh, when it's live like this. So we'll bring Olivia up to speak. Olivia, uh, go ahead and unmute your mic, which is muted right now, it's down the lower left-hand corner. And there you go, uh, what's going on? Oh, you went back to listener. Wait a minute, Olivia, I think you, I think you screwed yourself up there. Hold on a second. Uh, hold on here. I have to find a way to get her back. Although she may have left the room. Is that possible? We'll try again next time. Uh, No problem. We'll get you up here. Uh, Timothy, get you in here. Timothy, your mic is muted. Just unmute the lower left-hand corner there. Hey, Dr. Drew, can you hear me? I do. What's going on, man?
5: Hey, uh, yeah, I'm a returning. (laughs) I mean, I think you remember talking to me like last week. I do. Yeah, yeah. So like um I'm sorry, um uh, sorry, Mary Elizabeth Bailey. Um it's kinda off subject. I've been kinda going through COVID and um
0: And anxiety uh, and, and anxiety as much as COVID as I recall. Yeah, and I
5: had a I had a therapy appointment uh, session yesterday with this with a ther- lady therapist and she was really helpful. Good. Um, good. And uh, she was talking about how she sensed like almost some post-traumatic stress disorder stuff with me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just probably from like childhood. You know, my I had kind of cr- crazy, uh, crazy dynamics between my mom and my dad growing up. You know. hmm mm-hmm. and- Yeah,
0: PTSD. I, I look a trauma is one of the most significant and underreported sources of anxiety let me tell you, and and dysregulation, I mean, you have underneath your anxiety you have all kinds of vague dysregulated emotions that you're not connected up to because you didn't get the proper kind of rapprochement, we call it or feedback from your primary relationships. And yeah, it, it creates terrible anxiety. And then when you have an illness or something's threatening, you you're walking around in a full blown panic all the time.
5: Yeah, and and like, so Like this, this illness having COVID, Mm -hmm. it's like hard to, it's hard to really understand what symptoms are really bothering me and how much of that is actually just my anxiety and paranoia and panic attacks because I have panic
0: attacks, you know? And yeah, I get it. I get it. Did she give you some suggestions on maybe what to do when you start getting confused or out of body or whatever, however you experience these things?
5: Oh man. Well, I used to get, <clears throat> cause I rode the bus and skateboarded. I've been at uh, this grocery store. It's a very popular grocery store. Mm-hmm. I've been there for like 10 years and I rode the bus and skateboarded everywhere. Yeah. But I used to get panic attacks, like severe, mm-hmm. severe panic hey, attacks Tim- on Timoth-
0: the bus. Timothy, me too. When I was 19, I, I'm disabling panic. Disabling. Did you have panic, Mary Elizabeth?
1: Like, surprisingly, I haven't. I have never had a panic attack. Um, you know, and I, but I hear people that have them and I've, I've seen people that, that have them and I'm, you know, mm-hmm.
0: I'm very fortunate. They're now. miserable. They're, they're terrible. Yes. They're horrible. Yeah. And uh, Timothy doesn't, Timothy, I don't tell Timothy how horrible they are. They're horrible.
5: Oh, yeah. My, my chest, my chest would tighten up yeah. and like super tight. I'd get numbness in my jaw, numbness tingling in my hands and my legs would stop working. I'd have to walk around the bus because yeah. I felt, so fright like freaked
0: out I, frightened, and you know see you have a you have though you have a prominent somatoform component to your anxiety in other words you your body is a source of the distress and you lose track of is this distress of an emotional basis or is it of a somatic basis is it coming from the body itself and if you're not again if you're not hooked up to your emotions which is again a secure attachment reduce PTSD symptoms very hard to tell the difference but I, I can tell just talking to you that you're better off this week than last so was it two weeks ago or last whatever it was uh congratulations on taking care of yourself and you know getting getting proper care and then yeah. starting to sort out what is you know chronic COVID and what is it uh, most of the chronic COVID stuff gets better and so that's the thing you can look forward to i know there was a scary study that came out just to yesterday i think that suggested there's all this end-organ destruction in every organ of the body. Uh, according to Vinay Prasad, the entire study is bunk, to use his words. Uh, I can tell you clinically, it does not at all fit with what we see, which is people with long COVID have a lot of miserable symptoms. They get better. And we don't see significant, a uh, severe end-organ dysfunction unless the person was in the ICU for a long period of time, which what we see is the same as we see from long ICU hospitalizations of any cause. So it doesn't really, it's not, don't be scared by it is my point. So maybe that can reduce a little bit of the anxiety. Uh, And of course you're a nurse, Uh, Mary, any, any thoughts on your end?
1: No, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some people, um, you know, comment there, definitely get treatment for this. He's doing the right thing. Um, you know, he's going to therapy, he's learning, you know, learn the triggers, learn, you know, what causes it and, um, Mm -hmm. go from there.
0: He's better, I can tell. He was really struggling last time. Uh, Jackie, uh, unmute your mic and you can speak with us. A lot of support for, for uh, Timothy out there, which is nice. He'll need that too. So please keep giving him support. <laughs> uh, Jackie, go ahead. I see you're ready to speak, but we don't hear you. Maybe it's muted on your end, on your phone or something. It says You're connecting. not muted on the, yeah. No, it says connected on my end. Mm. what do you think there Caleb is it uh,
4: they might be having an issue
0: okay Uh, Jackie. if you do connect yeah if you do connect don't speak I'm going to bring Ryan up uh, let Ryan give a chance a shot at oh you're you're muted now Jackie stay muted we'll let we'll let uh, Ryan come up Ryan what's going on
6: hey doc I have a question for Mary
0: yeah
6: Uh, so I've been through quite a bit of childhood trauma when I was growing up uh pretty much every form except sexual and I've been in therapy for about eight years now I feel like I'm doing great but um my biggest issue is learning how to trust people again Mm. um I just can't and you know I just I get thoughts like um just doubtful thoughts just you know out of instinct and uh it's one thing that I feel like hinders my life and I really want to change it um I just don't understand how I
0: guess Mary, any suggestions
1: yeah that that's a good question um you know, trust you know you know people say once trust is broken it's so hard to get back but um i always have given people the benefit of the doubt i don't people um you know there's a saying uh i think there's a saying that goes you know you don't bleed on the people that didn't cut you so the people that that want to be in your life and, and want to support you you'll know who those people are um, I don't know if you're talking about relationships or employers. I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, I think it's good to at least open yourself up, allow people to come into your life. You know, again, you know, you know what um, you went through, and you know, you can read people a lot of times. At least I feel like I can read people. I've gotten to the point where I'm very yeah. aware of, of people and, and what they say to me and, you know, how they are. And um, you can pick up on those things. Yeah, that, that hyper.
6: Yeah, that hyper awareness is very familiar with me. I do I do that a lot. It's yeah. like uh, I don't want to say I judge people because I don't want to say they're they're good or bad, but I, I try to maybe maybe defend myself or protect myself mm-hmm. before anything even happens.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And um, I've seen it just destroy like relationships. I mean, even close ones, and uh, it hurts. And, and I know it's my fault, but I do want to, and I want to fix it. So.
0: So here are the the basics obviously is in therapy where you learn to be more open and vulnerable with your therapist that's your first place to test these things that person yeah. that person's job is just to be totally available to you confidentially without reservation completely open non-judgmental supportive i mean that's the job and so you should be able to build trust there it takes time but you must, unfortunately, you have to go out into the world and test it. You have to, you know, you may not, if you have a bad picker, if you pick untrustworthy people, then also work on that. But you're going to have to kind of slowly work yourself into increasing levels of trust with people. If you don't change that, if you don't, if you do nothing, it's really not going to change.
6: Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. I mean, it, it sounds scary, but yeah, yeah. You don't have
0: to jump all the way in. You don't have to jump, you know, you don't have to jump into a marriage or something or a business partnership to kind of jump into, you know, you know, day riding bikes or something or meeting at a restaurant. Can I, can I rely on them to show up on time? And if they show up and I tell them, I'll tell them something intimate, did they deal with it properly in, in, in a, in a respectful way? That kind of stuff. Test, test it. Okay just try it out try it out try it out try it out yes to quote a famous a famous meme all right so jackie's back again let's let's get uh, jackie in here and all you got to to turn your mic on jackie the mute is how about that there There you are i got you what's going on
1: hi dr drew and hi mary mary i've read your book and your sense of focus is really inspiring it's like you manifested your healing and somehow channeled your energy into finding solutions like sports or your studies. And I was really, um, inspired by the fact that you chose a healing career in nursing. So can you speak to how you found that mindset at such a young age? And I'll go ahead and mute back so other people can talk. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. Um, as far as my nursing career in healing, um, I was drawn to nursing and I was drawn to the geriatric nursing because of my relationship with my grandmother. Um, I, I loved her deeply. Um, the relationship we had was just, it was amazing. And so to be able to to work in that environment and to have that relationship and to, with those type of people, they all have this wonderful story. And you feel like each of those individuals are like your, your grandmother or your grandfather. And so having that relationship, um, with those, with, with my patients, it really helped, I think, uh, in some aspects, it, it helped me to heal. Um, because unfortunately when uh, my grandmother passed away, I was supposed to visit her, uh, in the nursing home. Um, and she passed away a couple of days before I got a chance to go see her. And it was devastating for me. Um, I had not seen her in mm-hmm. a while. And, um, so to lose her so, so quickly, I didn't even realize, um, you know, and I, I was about 13, 14 years old. And uh, so to, oh, to be able to go into and to spend time and, 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 and have the, the relationship with those individuals and those patients has just been such a blessing to me. Um, and, and has allowed. Uh, are you working?
0: Help. Are you working in? Have you, or Are you working? And have you always or generally worked in extended care facilities?
1: Mostly, mostly. That's what I did. Um, I did, uh, I was a nurse um, consultant, so I would go out um, and assess, you know, patients uh, in hospitals, you know, uh, for nursing and for rehab. Um, but mostly, mm-hmm. yeah, mostly that's the area I kind of stayed in.
0: Re- rehab, you're talking about transitional care units. Yes yeah so when she says rehab she's not talking about substance abuse treatment she's talking about physical rehab coming back from a hip replacement strokes that kind of thing yeah uh okay so i i want to follow on with jackie's question a little bit because i kind of feel like two things happened to you that were sort of lucky one you're a very positive resilient person and you, you're you sort of overly trustworthy and that's how you were taken advantage of by your mom, essentially. Um, but that makes for great nursing. <laughs> that makes for good that kind of, that already that sort of reaching out and caring about people and being open to them, that makes for a great nurse. Um, and, and so you sort of were resilient, you were sort of set up that way, but now I'm hearing you say you had this very deep attachment to grandma and and I kind of feel like that was the life and death line for you. That was what made the difference between a, a Mary that's what we're talking to now versus a Mary that would have been more like her siblings, I suspect. Maybe not substance, but with somebody with a substance problem, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my grandmother, she, she raised me uh, pretty much. My mother had me when she was, um, she got pregnant with me when she was 15 had me when she was 16 years old. So I lived with my my grandmother for the majority of of my young life. When she was there. She's very protective of me. She tried to keep me um you know out of that environment. You know, I with my mom and, and and my step stepfather. She tried to keep me away from that as much as she could. Um every time they would bring us back to the house or bring us back to wherever they were living or wherever they were moving to, they drag us with them. My grandmother would always mm. come with and I would stay with her and she was just, she was just like, she was my protector. She was like, like an angel. And, um, you know, I don't know what I would have done without her. I don't know where I'd be without her. I just know that her, her presence was vital in my life.
0: We, we have somebody named Miss B, uh, in our chat room from YouTube. I'm guessing she's somebody you grew up with because she said she, that she knew you played softball and basketball and, and track, or maybe she just read the book. Um, uh, is, is, or, and that that was an important part of your resiliency. Oh, Mishby has been your friend for yes. 20 years. It says we just came up. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. We've been, we've been best friends for, for over 20 years. She's, um, fantastic friend. She's been very supportive. We had a lot of similarities, um, in life, a lot of trauma, uh, in different, uh, aspects, um, things that she deals with things that I've dealt with. And so having her in my life has been a blessing. She's she's a good friend. But you
0: both found relief in in sports, in women's sports.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Mm. So so there's there's so there's so there's three things. Well, four things really. One is your positive attitude and resiliency, which can be cultivated. Let's be clear, uh, the trust part is a little rougher, as Ryan points out. Number two is that attachment to an adult figure. Somebody, somebody's got to be there for that child over an extended period of time. Doesn't, it can be outside the home, ideally from the gene pool. It doesn't have to be. Sports, we're hearing, was an important piece of this. Therapy was an important for you. You did a lot of therapy. And then very, very close supportive friends. So it's sort of, there it is. I mean, those are the elements that make people recover fully. And and no, you, the, you I'm sorry. You mentioned it, a sixth and equally important, maybe more important, a spiritual program. So so it is. So if we listed, like if we you know listed the, I, I don't know if this is in your book or not, but if we said here here are the things that Mary, you know, how did Mary end up as good as she is? Well, here they are, you know, first very secure attachment to a loving, sustained adult with who is structured with good boundaries. Resiliency, cultivated or 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 not, or or in in you know born with it, sports, activities, close friends, therapy, spiritual program, and then now service. You're able to take all that and and you know use it in your profession.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, yeah, that's exactly
0: right. All these things. And yeah, and what's interesting about that is. If you wrote them all down on a piece of paper, they would map on to the 12th step of recovery, which is why I always tell you guys that, you know, it's ridiculous that people don't take more advantage of a free a free mechanism that has been shown to be useful if people apply it. And it's a, it's a, it's a model that uh, recapitulates things that we know work for people recovering from all sorts of mental health issues, particularly trauma. And so please take advantage of those things. Fellowship, right? We got the you got the spiritual program. It's all these things. And you can do it on your own terms. How you make sense, how you make sense of it is how you use it. Well, Mary, I really appreciate you telling us your story. I hope people will get the book and read it. It's it's extraordinary, but it's it's thrilling to see you doing as well as you are. Um, and, uh, so I hope it gives people hope where I hope Ryan who called and still doing his work in therapy, maybe, maybe, you know, another way to have trust, uh, Mayor, Mary, why don't you speak to this? Cause I, spirituality to me is sort of outside of the medical realm and it's sort of, I don't feel right even talking about it, but talk to him about having, how having a spiritual program would help him trust and deal with circumstances where the trust is violated.
1: Yeah um well just having a spiritual relationship for me you know I you know my relationship with with uh, and, and really a spiritual relationship can be whatever you want it to be I don't you know not everyone's going to you know believe a certain way or believe you know in god or this or that but just to believe in something and to you know so to have a relationship and to open up to people um you know pray about it talk about it um you know, seek people out that that are spiritual. Maybe that's what you need to do. Um, and, and like you said, open up to those people, talk to those people, share things uh, with them and, and just see where it goes as far as uh, the relationship. And that's just a good way to start building trust. You find people and you find your tribe and and, um, and that's what you do. And you do have to put yourself out there sometimes, you know, it's um,
0: yeah whether you yeah. choose
1: to trust but someone or whether you choose not to, it can happen either way. As far as the but, but you know, I've noticed that people
0: that have a have that people that have a spiritual connection they can they can take that so called leap of faith of uh more effectively when they have that faith right. you know when when they're worried about trust they can make that leap and they can deal with the disappointments and they can you know maintain that through line spiritual connection that gets them through that stuff so there it is that's how this stuff works everybody um and, and the therapy part, frankly, is just the connection, just the, the secure base It's just what Mary got from her grandmother They're done properly. That's what therapy is essentially. And it's a few other little professional sort of managed nuances, you know, pushing here and pressing there and getting certain things uh, to help for you. But, but ultimately is getting that safe environment, that closeness, that rapprochement. Okay, Mary, thank you so much. Any place else you wanna send people?
1: Uh that's it. Just definitely uh, you know, check out my book. Um, you've been showing it, My mother's Soldier. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. And please reach out. You know, I have um uh, ways to contact me. So if people have questions, they can certainly reach out. Uh Facebook, okay, uh, Twitter, Instagram. So yeah. Thank
0: you so much. My my people appreciate will it. they will reach out. So we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Mary. Great. Hope to see you soon. Uh tomorrow, I believe we're just doing calls. Is that right, Caleb? Is that how that's, yes, that's set up correct. so far? to do take calls uh, let me tomorrow double check all right so calls from you guys um whatever topic you want to get into uh let me uh i guess i was gonna bring susan up here but she can't really talk on the plane they won't let her do that so i'm not gonna bug you to come on up or you can raise your hand if you want uh, if you feel like you could talk I'll, I'll let you come in here um there's a lot going on there's a lot of interesting stuff uh alex berenson is back on twitter and he, he had a really interesting construct. I, I don't know that I agree with it, but it was very interesting. He said we should be looking at the vaccines. I'm laughing because it was such a clever construct. We should look at the vaccines not as an immunization against infection, but a therapeutic that helps decrease the impact of the illness, but you have to take it before you get the illness. <laughs> it's a therapeutic that you take before you're infected. And I thought that is a really, really, really clever construct. It is kind of what it is, but it does it through activating the immune system. So your immune system does the work, therefore it is a vaccine. Now, if, you, if it helps people sort of get their head more around what we're doing by thinking of it that way, or helps them make their decisions better based on that construct, then I'm all for it. But as always, Alex Berenson is the gadfly creating lots of noise out there. He was he was silenced by Twitter. But maybe we should try to get Alex back in here. He's been here a number of times. Yeah, um, I had to actually
4: was, go look that up because I didn't believe it. I thought he was suspended, and he was, and it looks as if they reinstated him and acknowledged an error, and then Elon Musk replied to that early. What? Correct. I didn't even notice that. Wow.
0: Correct. Not, not only that, uh, oh, we have a forensic doctor on for tomorrow. Michelle just texted me. We have a forensic physician on, which is awesome. We're going to talk about a lot of things COVID as well. But, but uh, yeah, Elon Musk was interested in the fact that Alex said, Alex said that one of the reasons Twitter canceled him was because of pressure from the government. And Elon Musk <laughs> <laughs> immediately went, uh, tell me more about that pressure from the government you were talking about. Did you see that whole exchange, Caleb? Did you see, did you see that whole thread? Oh, yeah. It's I'm very I'm it thread. on the
4: screen right now. Okay, I did we'll not see it until just now. Me, so
0: you have. Yeah. Uh, how did I? Like, wow, I got something on social media before uh, Alex did, before Caleb did. So there it is. He says, Shady's back, <laughs> which is hysterical. Uh, tell a friend, which we're doing right now. Uh, and uh, I can't read the rest of it. Maybe you can read it, Caleb. For the said that they, full story.
4: The full sto- for the full story of my reinstatement, including Twitter's acknowledgement of error, see my Substack. That's,
0: uh, sub- I've on never sub-star. seen anything like this.
4: This makes me feel, reminds me of when Twitter, I mean, when YouTube took down the Dr. Zelenko interview and then all of a sudden, yes. out of nowhere, a few days later, they put it back up, took the strike off and then didn't even acknowledge it, acted as if it never happened.
0: Well, this, in Alex's place, I believe he took them to court. I believe this was a lawsuit. And, and I believe this, this was a settlement before it got to court. In fact, I, I'm fairly certain that's what happened. I'd, I'd heard that yesterday, that there had been a settlement for Alex Berenson, and, and people, people were a little upset because they were saying, hey, we, we had, there was a big crowdfund for him to go to court. And they were like, is, you know, are we, were we crowdfunding a settlement? I didn't, you know, the People felt weird about that. That's how lawsuits work. Most of them are settled. If you're gonna crowdfund a, a lawsuit, the probability is you're gonna crowdfund a settlement, something that settles. And evidently, part of the settlement was a you know acknowledgement of wrongdoing and a reinstatement on Twitter. And what do you? Oh, there's Elon Musk. Can you see more about the pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter? Right? Isn't that something? That's that's the thing that really caught my eye. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a pretty good threat, isn't it? And then, put, Quinn, Why not put the one up just just before Elon said that? Alex went out and said. So, you're saying Alex Michelson, who was my co host on a local news show here. Alex went out and talked about his construct of how we should look at the vaccine as a therapeutic, a therapeutic that you take before you get sick. It's clever, it's funny, it's not wrong, it's just not wholly the truth. Because, again, is it this one? There it is. Uh, doesn't, don't think of it a vaccine, think of it at best as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy, true, and terrible side effect profile, two, true, that must be dosed in advance of illness. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and you want to mandate that, that's insanity. Well, uh, uh-oh, it's a misleading tweet. Wow, I think that, that was a- got uh, tagged. It, That's a
4: screenshot of was, what got him suspended, I think.
0: No, 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 this was today. That wasn't. That was not tagged two hours ago. That 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 little that little thing at the bottom where it says misleading was not there two hours ago. I assure you. So so the, the that.
4: that part where it says it's misleading that's in the screenshot that he posted of the old tweet that he had pinned before. That's not from today's. That's why. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's in the screenshot oh, he posted. I see. Yeah,
0: you're right. That's his. That's what got him canceled. That's no that's way.
4: What it looks like it looks like that was his last. That's just it a appears clever, to be his last that's just tweet a clever, since 2021. Uh, It's just a
0: clever idea. It's a clever idea. It's not wholly true. It's not wholly untrue. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with us? What do you, my God, people, what is wrong with us? Seriously, what is wrong with us? I I, I don't get it. I I don't know why we can't have just, I don't know. Far from, again, I'm I'm just trying to help people understand things. Uh, I got some stuff wrong. He got some stuff wrong. I got some stuff right that people still haven't acknowledged yet. By the way, um, and know. I apologize where I get things wrong. I, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. When I get things wrong, first thing I want to do is acknowledge where I've got it wrong as quick as I can possibly get, rectify it and get get my boat righted on course. That's fine with me. It's the way science works. Is you you, you never always right all the time. which doesn't happen. Does not happen. Uh, okay, so. Be that as it may, uh, I appreciate you all being here. I appreciate the questions. We appreciate you all on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Caleb, thank you for helping. Susan, thank you for listening. I know you're somewhere over, uh, let's see, where are you now? You would be probably over Illinois somewhere and uh, maybe over Chicago, Cincinnati, something like that as they head you on across the country. So have a nice flight. Uh, I love you and we will see you all tomorrow at three o'clock. We have a forensic physician in here that Michelle is very excited about. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Oh! <laughs>